Well, hey there, preachers. And today we are on our fifth and final installment of our Minor Prophets series, uh, When God Speaks. So we've talked about Haggai, Zechariah, Micah, Zephaniah. And today we're going to finish the series with the book of Joel. Um, and so we're on the we're on the call with uh, Pastor Chris Duran, who took the lead on this um, particular series. Chris, let's do this. Um, why don't we start with just kind of give us the main points, kind of the overview in just a in just a minute or two, and then we'll we'll talk about the hook and we'll break down each of those points and we'll talk about how you'll how you land the plane on this sermon. Yeah, sounds good. So this, uh, much like many of the minor prophets, this is an interesting, really short, uh, kind of intense book, right? So um, it's really about uh, the the people who. God was doing whatever he really could do to get their attention. So uh, they were kind of complacent in their faith. They had maybe turned away from God. And so the, the prophet Joel is, uh, you know, kind of helping them remember uh, that God is in control. And, you know, God brought about uh, just a, a crazy uh, force. We'll talk a little bit about it. It was a, a locust plague, um, a very difficult time for them, which, you know, almost destroyed all of their livelihood. And so, uh, you know, really it was the push to get the people back in line in their relationship with God to turn back, mm -hmm. to turn back to him. So um, really the overview of the chat uh, of the entire book is, uh, you know, a theme of punishment up front that God, uh, you, you know, used this locust plague to get their attention, but then it's echoed with forgiveness, uh, repentance, and really, a reward of, of a promise, great promise from, from God. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the idea of the book. And then our main points uh, are God does what it takes to get our attention. That's the first point. Uh, now is the time to turn to God. It's this idea of repentance. <laughs> and then the, mm -hmm. the final point is that God honors, will honor our trust in him. Okay, good. So before we get into each one of those points, Chris, uh, you know, just like the other series or topics or messages in this series, I think this one could be, you know, it's, we're talking about the Old Testament prophets. So this one could be heavy. Mm -hmm. um, or do you have just a little bit of levity built in through the sermon? And how are you going to uh, sort of set the hook uh, on this sermon titled, Whatever It Takes. Yeah, it's interesting because there's really not a lot of room for, <laughs> you know, fu funny in this kind of sermon. It's it's really, uh, when we're teaching directly from the text, there are some really deep themes, right? So I think it's, imp mm -hmm. it's important to recognize that um, we, we try to be true to the text, but also be engaging to the audience. I mean, we don't want to come out with, you know, hellfire and brimstone, uh, but we, right. we do definitely want them to understand that, you know, God was using something very serious to get the attention of his people. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that's a balance that we always have to be thinking through when we're, when we're teaching. Um, so for what I do to kind of start the, the series is I give a story of a, a natural kind of a natural disaster that happened here in my context. It was in Utah many years ago. And it was this idea of um, a tornado that came down. Now, tornadoes don't really come down in Utah. <laughs> we, yeah, we, have, right. we have mountains. And this tornado came and it really destroyed a large part of Salt Lake City. There was a, a, just a, a large amount of money and damage. Hundreds of people were injured. Uh, one person was dead. And so I, I really bring this story in to say, you know, displays of great power. Um, you know, we, we stand in awe of the natural 
kind of human display of these of these things. But in reality, these forces, you know, can't really touch the power of, of God. And so we kind mm. we kind of set it up to to hook people in to say, think about the worst, you know, crazy thing that's ever happened. And we we get fascinated by these things, but God is the creator of the galaxies, the natural laws, all things. And so would wouldn't it be crazy for us to think that we could, you know, be complacent or live without him or disobey him or run and hide from him, much like the people in, uh, you know, Joel's time were doing. And so mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to bring in this idea of think about a natural disaster and, and what that looks like in your mind. And now let's jump and shift into what God did to get their attention back in their time. So I'm trying to kind of bring, you know, what something from what you could think through to what we're going to be going into to what happened to them. Yeah, so maybe another example could be, I might in my sermon on this, I might use 9-11, you know, that that was so, it was, it just got, it got my, it got everyone's attention, right? It changed, it changed our culture, it changed the way we fly, it changed, it changed so much because it was such, it was a disaster on such a large scale. I mean, it's still etched into our, anyone who was around at that time, it's etched in our memories, much like maybe the JFK thing was generations ago or the, you know, the uh, shuttle disaster yeah. when I was a kid. So that, yeah, that's good. I think it's good to say, you know, that this, these, these shocking things that are, that are devastating. Um, and it just changes the way we view everything, right. It gets our attention because you're moving toward that setting up that idea with Joel, you know, God did whatever it took to get their attention back then in the story. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to remember that, you know, obviously God, God is a holy God, right? So he doesn't orchestrate evil. That's not in his nature, but God does allow things to happen to get our attention. And so it's important, like all of these, like you're saying, all of these things that God allows to happen is really to, to get our attention to draw us near to him in some way, shape or form. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay. So then you transition then into that, that, that is the first point from Joel chapter one, verses one through three, God does whatever it takes to get our attention. Yeah. Um, and, and so are, is that where you're finally going to go to the text? You're going to read it here for the first time. Yeah. So what, what I think is interesting here, it's similar to what you just said, you know, God, God uses things to get our attention, but in the sense that it's, it, kind of something to always remember. So the very first part of Joel, and I just love this, is that he talks about this specifically, you know, hear this, you leaders of the people. I mean, this is Joel 1 through chapter 1, 1 through 3. Listen to, listen all who live in the land and all of your history. Has anything like this happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children tell their children pass the story down from generation to generation. So mm, not, good. Only, not only does it get our attention because of what happened, but re we'll remember something like 9-11 for years to come. We'll remember this tornado. Yeah. We're still talking about it today. And for them, what he is setting up is this locust plague. Uh, and this locust plague came in and destroyed everything. I mean, it was a major disaster. It consumed their lives. Uh, it took all of their livelihood. Now, imagine, uh, you know, you have to understand that the economy and, and agriculture and farming, this was everything that they had. So when you have uh, an army of locusts that come in and destroy everything, this is a natural disaster with catastrophic implications for them. 
Yeah. You know, and, and so, I mean, I get into describing, I think it's really interesting, this idea of the locust plague and, and how um, there's a, you know, there's something that took place in Jerusalem in 1915. Uh, so we've got some details in the, in the notes that, that kind of talk about this. I just think it's really fascinating how this, this happened. But really, what, what this whole main point is, is that God, I think he uses, you know, this as an illustration. And Joel really teaches this. It's an illustration and a warning. And I think the illustration for us is like, um, you know, the locust plague. It's the devastating power of sin, right? It's, it's total. It, it gradually moves through and destroys everything in its path. So mm. for, for us... When we're living in sin, it, it, it starts out with just kind of, you know, this innocent thing that then turns into something that destroys everything, right? So it's this present time illustration. But really, Joel is using it as a warning of future judgment. Um, it's, he's talking about the, the day of the Lord. In Joel 1.15, it says, The day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. So really, it's... Yes, the, the suffering and the circumstance is difficult now, but really what he's talking about is our eternal day of judgment that will come in the future, right? So mm -hmm. he, he, what does God have to do to get your attention both now and for eternity, <laughs> you know? So Yeah, yeah, that's good. And as I'm looking at your notes, and just a reminder to anyone listening to the podcast, Chris's notes are posted online if you want to look at his manuscript. Um, you do a good job in here, Chris, of describing the locusts plague. And it, it is, it's good. It, it, I think it'll get the reader's attention, you know, that they would dig holes in the soil that, that uh, you say that about 70,000 eggs would be concentrated in a single square yard of soil, um, that they would cover four to 600 feet a day, devouring any and all vegetation in their path. And then as they grew, they eventually developed the ability to jump. And then, then they could get, get to trees and vines. And so, and then they'd eventually develop wings and they, they'd score scout. You say they'd swarm over areas that had already been devoured and they would destroy any plant life left. So, you know, back in, back in the day, well, even today, this would be terrible, but back in the day it was, it was brutal. Right. And it, it created a Holocaust like um, conditions almost. Right. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's important to understand these aren't just the you know the cute little grasshoppers that we're pulling the legs off of when we're kids. You know what I mean? This is yeah. hundreds of thousands of you know locusts that are swarming in in great droves. I mean, it, it, you know, witnesses would say that uh, it looked like a dark cloud over the land. I mean, it's just wow. just to, to be in, involved in any of that. Um, would, would just be terrifying, I think, in itself. But, but really the implications of that, the implications of what that would have meant to them, this is their livelihood. So they mm -hmm. literally have nothing left. They've been stripped of everything that they had. And so not only is this a scary thing, but it's also a, a very real thing. Like, what do they do now, <laughs> you know? Um, mm. and, and so it's, it's an attention grabber and and I think it, you know, God does that to us sometimes. God allows yeah. us to go through things that are difficult, uh, that, that yeah. are painful. And for us, it might not be an, an economic disaster. Maybe it is. But I think for us, it's, it's you know, think sin, sin and, and the result of that sin. I think God, you know, God's a holy God. He's a just God. But God uses punishment for that sin to get our attention, not to 
shame us or to, and we talk about this, but really to get our attention to say, listen, uh, we should have remorse for our sin. We should repent from our sin. We, we should turn back to God. Uh, and he uses these things to get our attention to do that because sometimes we're pretty stubborn, aren't we? We don't want to see the reality of life. Yeah, so a couple notes here as I'm looking at your outline. First of all, to the preachers, there are some uh, pictures. Uh, Chris, it looks like you're going to leave in the slide deck so people, preachers can use that if they want to to show the devastation. Um, obviously not pictures from Joel's day, but uh, pictures pictures of locust infestation, I'm assuming. Is that what that is? Yeah, it's it's similar to the event that happened on uh, in Jerusalem in 1915. So they've got okay. really good stuff. Yep. Yeah, so that's good. And then also, I think it's good, again, as a preacher that in the sermon now, you're going from the, from the Joel, you're still in the first point, you're going from the Joel description, and now you're, you're pivoting and relating it to, uh, to people, you know, yeah. that, that God get does whatever, what has God done in your life to get your attention? You say, maybe you feel like locusts are eating away at every part of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, and you, you give, you know, maybe in financially or in your marriage or uh, maybe just emotionally or whatever that may. And you, your point is maybe God's trying to get your attention. Um, yeah. Use this as an opportunity. And, then, and you're transitioning then to your second point, which is that now is a time to turn to God and you use Joel 2, 12 through 13, which starts. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give your hearts to me. Return to the Lord. He's merciful. He's compassionate. A slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this shift. So so we're shifting now uh, in this message to where, you know, Joel is really saying God's getting our attention, right? And he's doing whatever it takes. But now he's mm -hmm. he's shifting into really the heart of God. You know, and I love this part, like in, in Joel 13, uh, return the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And remember, that's the very first thing that God said about himself in Exodus 34 when he revealed himself to Moses, right? And so this is him being true to that. You know, God is compassionate. He's, he's slow to get angry. He'll allow things to happen in our life to get our attention. But his desire is for us to turn to him to, to you know, sin is when we decide to go our own way, right? When we, we turn from God and we go our own way. Uh, but God wants us to repent, and repentance is to turn back to God, right? And so I mm -hmm. think so. So God's saying to them, "Listen, now is the time to leave your complacency, leave your sin, leave what's going on, and rededicate, return to Me. Now is the time. Don't wait, right? So, um, mm -hmm. and and I think this, this is a good time to kind of bring in the the goodness of God, which we shift from very dark to now very right. very light, you know. Yeah. So the essence of the point is that, you know, God's heart is for you, not against you, because some people might be sitting there saying, man, this sounds like a pretty angry, mean spirited God. But that that text that you're using really just it lays it out. Right. Which is kind of a mo God's mantra throughout the Old Testament. Guys, I'm for you, but you keep you keep wandering from me, but I'm for you. It's kind of like it, it calls up like a loving parent who loves their children enough to discipline them, right? They're not just going to be their best friends. Yep. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, I, I think it's important to, especially in, in this text is to understand the context of what was going on in the time, you know, people, and I think it's similar to what we do today. We, we feel like we've got it all together. We've got this, we can live our life the way we want to live. We don't need any guidance. Mm -hmm. We don't need direction. 
And then what happens is, is we, we get caught up in life and we realize, oh my gosh, it's just spinning the wheels at this point, you know, but back in this time is they were, they were, God was their, their, they were the, the chosen people of God. Right. And so God was leading them and he was giving them what they needed. And even when God was so uh, a part of their lives, they still decided to go their own way. And so it's this theme of we're a sin filled people. We want to do it on our own, but our own will not, it will not get us to where we need to be both now, but, and for eternity. And so God gives us the way to come back to him. And, and when we do, he doesn't say, listen, everything that you did was shameful and wrong. What he says is I'm slow to anger and I am compassionate and I want to, to restore you return to me so I can love you and lead you and guide you as a father would his children. Yeah, that's good. And then you pivot to the last, to the last point, which is that God honors our trust in him. And you're using chapter two, verses 25 through 28. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts. He says, I, it was I who sent this great destroying army against you. But once again, you'll have all the food you want and you will praise the Lord, your God, who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. He says that again. And he says, then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just what a great, what a great picture of the way God loves us. I mean, I can't even begin to think of another, you know, another person who could love us this way. He literally says in the midst of all of this, you know, everything that happened as difficult as it was, when you return to me, I will restore you. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think of the, I think of the worst possible sin, you know, that I've done in my life and how difficult it is and the implications that it's brought on me and my family members and to, to, you know, the weight, kind of the weight that that brings. But when we turn to God, he says, not only will I forgive you, but I love this in verse 25, I will give you back what you lost. So to me, there's this picture of everything that you once held on to, it was destroyed, but now I'm going to restore it and I'm going to renew it. I'm going to make it new. I mean, this is a, a, a this is the unfailing, unconditional, non-judgmental love of God and it's in, on display, regardless of what happened or what they did, God loved them enough to get their attention, to call them back to him. And when they, when they do, he says that they will be renewed. They will be restored. And that is, to me, it's great hope, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost, it, it seems like to me, the thrust of this is that he, his promise goes beyond forgiveness to even restoration. It's not just that, okay, I forgive you mm-hmm. now, now get away from me, get it, get away from me. Like probably some of us would do, we would forgive someone and then, but we still don't want anything to do with them. Right. We still, we still don't want them to be blessed. We almost maybe hold it against them, but, but this is again, showing God's character that he goes, he goes further than forgiveness. He doesn't just say, I'll forgive you and let you off the hook. He actually restores what they lost. Yeah. which I think is a, a great message of hope for people. Yeah, and I, I think too, I mean, just to bring some practical, you know, practical application to this. I mean, think of the marriage that was destroyed by infidelity or that was, you know, a, an addiction of some sort that caused friction 
you know, God, God is such a God of love that he can take what was once broken and he can restore a marriage in forgiveness mm-hmm. and repentance. You know, like there's so many things that God can do that what man thinks is done, God sees as, um, you know, just beginning. <laughs> so I think it's, mm-hmm. it's important to understand that, um, you know, God's love moves beyond a human understanding. Um, and what I really love about this, and I think the, the greatest part of this entire the, the entire three chapters of Joel is in um, chapter two, verse 28, that, that he says that after doing all of these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And, and, and to me, what I think God is doing there is, you know, in the Old Testament, the spirit of God's presence was by an action or a word, or, you know, there was rituals and routines and all kinds of things that had had to happen. But now God is moving into, he's talking, or Joel's talking about, you know, the future that one day we're all going to be able to experience God and the fullness of his spirit uh, yeah. in something that's all consuming. So it's now not just a, an action or a word, but he was literally prophesying about the future to come when Jesus would die and go to heaven. And, and when people would, uh, you know, put their faith in him, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we would have God's presence living in us daily. You know, that, that to me is amazing. And there's, there's so much to that. Yeah, that's good. I like to remind people at this, at this point in the sermon that in the old Testament, the spirit's activity was, was kind of came and went right. The spirit came upon Samson and he, he beat up a, you know, he killed a thousand Philistines or the spirit came upon David and he, and he slew the giant. But, but what this is talking about and, and other prophets talk about this as well is the day that it's now here, by the way, when the spirit doesn't just come and go, but the spirit resides in every true believer, moving us to be obedient, moving us to live this consistent life of victory empowered by the spirit. And so I love it. I love that you end with that new Testament prophecy um, because we have that today. And I think then you, you kind of, you, you end with the gospel and you end on that just incredible note of, of, of restoration and even even beyond restoration, it's almost like he goes, Joel goes beyond forgiveness to restoration. But for us as New Testament believers, he goes beyond restoration to actually um, rebirth, right? Like, like having the spirit in us all the time. So it's even better than what the people in Joel's day had, because because we are living in the day of verse 28, that the spirit the spirit, we have access to the spirit, God himself, every single day living in us and through us. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, I think just to kind of wrap, wrap it all up and, and not to get too, I mean, again, we, we want to be careful with the theological implications and things of that nature, but just, just the idea that one day that pr- the presence of God will, will be what seals us for eternity. Right. So, you know, yeah. when the when the day of judgment comes, because that's a, the future day of judgment is a big theme throughout Joel. And, and we don't want to over spiritualize this. I mean, that's I think that's really important when we're going through all of the, the minor prophets, because I think the tendency is to to try to get over, you know, over spiritual. But in reality, what this the future implication of this, the final day of the Lord is the day when Jerusalem and God's holy people and those who have put their faith in Jesus will be restored and that they will be gathered together to spend eternity with God. That's the final day of the Lord. And so Mm. it it moves us into this idea that, you know, 
crazy things are going to happen. It's going to be difficult. God calls us to return to repent to him, and he will honor our turning back to him both now and really for eternity. And so I think that's the important part of the gospel here is that, look, whatever you're going through right now, God wants to renew and restore that he wants to forgive you. But this has eternal implica- implications, you know, and when, when you put your faith in Jesus, you will spend eternity with the almighty God forever, you know, and that, that is a, that itself is a great blessing. And that's really kind of how, how the, the, the book ends is that, that God, or Joel is telling the people that God will bless his people forever. Um, and so the latter parts of Joel chapter three gets to that. And so we encourage our readers at the end of the sermon to read on into that. Uh, just a lot of really rich teaching in, in this, this minor prophet. Yeah, I think it's good. It's going to be a great sermon for anyone preaching it. So the title is called, it's Joel, whatever it takes. It's sermon number five in the minor prophets series. You can find Chris's uh, outline and manuscript notes. You can find slides. You can find the, uh, the short uh, Bible project video on this. If you want to use that in the sermon, uh, small group resources, everything. You can find it all at pursuegodnetwork.org in our sermon library.